You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at IWU. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Between six and 10,000 churches in the U.S. are dying each year. That means around 100 to 200 churches will close this week. The pace will accelerate unless our congregations make some drastic and dramatic changes. That comes from Tom Rayner of Lifeway Research, what can sound like some pretty discouraging news. And yet, our guest today has some encouraging news to speak to us. He's the author of Churches Are Closing, But These Four Models Are Thriving, an article at missioalliance.org. Joining us today is Chris Morton. Chris is the Director of Strategic Initiatives for Fresh Expressions U.S., as well as a freelance writer and content marketer. He helped to plant the church uh, Austin Mustard Seed, which was a community for passionate believers and some hopeful skeptics uh, in North Central Austin, where he also served as a community developer. He blogs about getting his life on track and the church on mission at chrismorton.info. Welcome, Chris. I wonder if you'd start out just by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started uh, in the ministry and what brought you to the position you're now in. Hey, thanks for having me. I wonder if you could start by kind of telling our listeners just a little bit of your story so that when we jump into some of these thriving church models, they'll have a sense of who's talking to them. So how did you get started in the in the writing business? How did you get into serving in this community development position? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so, you know, one of my oldest memories, I, I grew up going to church. Uh, my parents were in ministry. Um, and I, for whatever reason, uh, at a young age, I just always, I wanted to see uh, my friends understand who Jesus is and have access to a kind of church community. And I, I remember having, you know, a few friends who I'd call every Saturday night and invite them to come to church with me on Sunday. Um, and it just, as I grew older, it became increasingly clear to me uh, the amount of cultural distance between my peers that I, I was interacting with at school and stuff like that and the churches that I was a part of. Uh, I grew up in a stream of churches um, that were kind of uh, rooted in um, the South and the uh, Bible Belt culture, uh, and especially like Depression era uh, Bible Belt culture. Um, and a lot of a lot of these churches that had really exploded in maybe the 50s and 60s. Um, and when I was growing up in the 90s, you know, they hadn't changed much uh, other than, you know, there were fewer people and hairs were getting gray. And so when I was trying to invite my friends from high school and things like that uh, to join us, uh, they're just, you know, whether they were interested in uh, what we were doing or, or what we were like, there was just such a gap. Um, so kind of that mindset from an early age of what would it look like uh, for, um, you know, the people that I do life with every day to experience a Christian community that just made sense to them. That was something that I had a deep desire for from a young age. Um, So when I was in college, I kind of became aware of different uh, approaches to planting churches. You know, this was in the early aughts when um, a lot of the conversation around the uh, emergent church kind of ideas were going around. There was alternative worship stuff in the UK um, kind of being talked about. Uh, And then there was also uh, these um, church planning orgs that were gaining more and more steam. 
um, groups like Stadia uh, in the 90s and then maybe Acts 29 um, in the early 2000s. So I was just kind of soaking all of that stuff up and uh, decided that um, I wanted to be involved with church planting. The best way to reach those people that I was passionate about was to just plant a church for them. Um, and I wanted to be in a place where, uh, you know, what happened, the, the city and the culture, you know, the things that were happening there would have a broader influence. This was also the time that uh, when uh, Richard Florida's uh, book on the creative class came out and everybody was talking about creatives, creatives. Um, so after college, after bouncing around a few places, uh, I landed here in Austin, Texas. Um, and kind of in that time, uh, you know, I worked in a few different church scenarios, you know, like a lot of situations, guy fresh out of college, uh, you know, was probably only going to get a job in youth ministry. Uh, did a little youth ministry, uh, wasn't a great fit at that. Uh, worked with a, um, a mega church that was developing a multi-site model. Um, and that's when I started to see kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses of kind of different uh, church planning approaches. Um, you know, the nice thing, ha having done both of them, the nice thing about being involved with a big multi-site model is uh, that you would have um, your resources and capacity to get things started financially. Um, and, uh, you know, the nice thing about kind of starting from scratch with a church plant uh, is that you can really um, speak to a specific neighborhood or audience or things like that. Uh, so about six years ago, I uh, helped plant a church here in Austin, Texas, and my role was as community developer. And, um, you know, at that time, we decided to be uh, bivocational. So in my role as community developer, um, the joke was that I was basically the party planner, that I was, you know, planning get-togethers for, for everyone, and that, you know, as we kind of grew and got a little more consolidated, we, um, we you know, had more, you know, traditional formal things like uh, huddles, groups of three to five, where discipleship happens, and you know, uh, more traditional small groups. So, uh, you know, for that's how my role kind of evolved there. Um, but like I said, we had decided from day one that we were going to be bivocational. And uh, I had a really great opportunity with that uh, to work with some church planting adjacent organizations. Uh, just had through relationships and some things that opened up. So uh, for most of the past five six years I've uh, been doing uh, local church plant but then also helping with um, with writing and content strategy and marketing for a handful of different uh, church planning related organizations um, and then also Misty Alliance so that's how I got involved with that uh, but primarily most of my work um, especially and last year or so has been with um, a group called Fresh Expressions. And uh, that's actually where a lot of the inspiration for this article came from. 
So the article is at missioalliance.org. You mentioned being uh, the head of party planning. Um, I'm just assuming that you had a committee and that you called yourselves the party planning committee. Uh, <laughs> that joke was made, yeah. Envisioning that, and my my heart is is being appropriately warmed. It's a good Wesleyan and fan of the office, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you read through the article, getting a sense of some of the fresh expressions, I love just to kind of highlight some of the ones that you that you bullet point through it, maybe in a way to kind of spark some creative juices. So for people that are listening in, maybe some steps that they might be able to take. Because one of the benefits of these different models is that they don't take starting something from brand new, right? It can happen that way, but right. there can also be things right. that, that emerge out of things that are already there. So you talk about dinner church. Yeah. Uh, tell us, what's mm-hmm. dinner church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so dinner church... Um, Dinner Church is nothing new, but the specific model that we're working with in Fresh Expressions was developed by Verlin and Melody Fosner in the Seattle area. Um, So they had kind of two main things that were really affecting them. Uh, For one, just kind of looking at age attrition and uh, things that were changing in their urban neighborhood. Uh, They were pastoring um, this 100-plus-year-old uh, Pentecostal church, and they were just looking at attrition, things like that, and they had a date on the calendar where their church would no longer be viable. They'd have to close the door, so then they could look out, you know, 10 years or so, and they knew they own calendars. They didn't change something and find a way to really um, present who Jesus is and what the church is in the, their urban neighborhood. Uh, if they didn't find a, a way to do that by that date, you know, it was just only natural that they would have uh, diabetrician. So they were really motivated. Um, but the other thing was that uh, they were doing a lot of study of the early church and especially um, the second and third century fathers. Um, and so you see this model, you know, there are hints of it starting in the New Testament and especially in uh, the second and third century of these agape feasts. And agape feasts would be these gatherings in apartment complexes in the Roman Empire uh, where, you know, the, the gospel would be lived out at a table and you would have people of all uh, different uh, races and religious backgrounds and stuff like that gathering there at the table. Um, and what Verlin and Melody noticed there in, um, in Seattle was that there was just a lot of people who might be interested in church or at least some sort of spiritual conversation and community, but coming and sitting in a row for an hour on Sunday just didn't really make sense for them. You know, some of them might just work on Sunday and not be available. Uh, Some of them uh, just didn't want to sit and feel like they were lectured at. Uh, You know, and then there were a lot of people who there was just a cultural distance, especially um, people in more impoverished neighborhoods, uh, you know, they might feel welcome at church. They might feel like people were nice to them at church, but uh, at the end of the day, there was just such a gap. Um, and so kind of inspired by uh, these images of the early church gathering around tables, uh, Verlin and Melody, they started experimenting with this uh, and they mainly work with community centers. Berlin is always quick to say, uh, find a place where uh, people like to have their parties, where people uh, renting out space for birthday parties or uh, weddings or things like that. Go to those places, places that you know people can walk to 
in places in what uh, they like to call sore neighborhoods, places that are uh, just hurting a little more financially. And often a lot of our churches just don't have um, a way to interact with those neighborhoods. And uh, a lot of urban churches end up being uh, churches where people are commuting into from the suburbs. And the people right there in the area are uh, you know, struggling to find their place there. Um, so they started offering, you know, a meal, and during the meal, there would be a band playing worship music, there would be an artist um, painting something maybe inspired by the music or inspired by a passage of scripture. Um, and then, you know, after the meal's been served and everybody's having have a chance to leave, uh, they offer everyone a, a chance to the peace out if they want they can get out of there but they're just very clear hey we're for the next couple of minutes we're going to tell some stories and talk around our tables about jesus and if you want to stay for that it's great if you don't thank you for coming and being our guest uh so trying to make it clear no bait and switch nobody's guilting you into it um and then pretty much everyone always stays and uh they proceed to have someone share uh, a story from the gospels um, in their own words maybe seven to ten minutes long and then uh, people will discuss that at the tables there while they're still you know finishing up their dinner um, and what they've found is that this model you know, do, doing something on a weekday doing it around food having lots of space to just talk about who jesus is it is very very appealing to uh, people who are isolated and don't tend to fit into normal churches and uh, the three groups of people that Verlin and Melody have found that really fit in the core and uh, people who are relationally isolated. Uh, for instance, people who um, might have had a, a divorce or lost their family for some reason. And so they're later in life and they don't have um, that natural family connection. And, and then the third group of people that they find that are really, find this really appealing. Um, you might call humanitarians, or I hate to use this term, but social justice warriors, uh, people who are really um, wanting to, to make a difference in the world. And what's often really interesting is those people uh, might not necessarily um, love Jesus, but they love serving. Um, and so they're excited to be in those spaces with people who are serving. So those three groups of people um the the poor the relationally isolated and the humanitarians they tend to be feel very at home in the setting of the church uh, so at this point now um that church that old pentecostal church in seattle has transitioned completely uh where they now meet in 12 um 12 community dinners um in different neighborhoods that people can walk to and that is what church is for, for them, is that network of community dinners. On the one hand, I'm seeing how official leadership might not be necessary in these different expressions, right? They might not have a designated pastor. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, they might not have, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the structure uh, of church, right, with with deacons and elders or or whatever other nomenclature a tradition might use. But on the other hand, I'm seeing, boy, this really takes a lot of informal leadership, right? It takes a lot of people just willing to take the courageous steps sure. of organizing, yeah. community, mm -hmm. 
communicating, sharing their story. What are some of the lessons you've learned? I'm thinking specifically of maybe pastors who are saying, you know what, that fits so-and-so in my church and it fits their temperament, it fits their personality and their skill set. They have a heart to get this kind of thing started up. In their yeah. in their workplace or through a network they've got through their uh, you know maybe professional uh, colleagues you know I know in the in the article you talk about um, nurses and healthcare professionals gathering together and and that specifically being mm-hmm. a way of, of doing church you know there's ways that that could get tailored out um, yeah. I see, hear a pastor saying you know this could be really great for this person if I just had another step or two to give them they'd be off and running I also think about pastors saying you know yeah. that would be a breath of fresh air to me. Uh, to do something kind of organic yeah. like that, right? That this would be a breath of fresh air outside yeah, the form yeah. of my own spiritual leadership, and I would love to do that. So let, let's take take those. Whether it's the the pastor who needs a some refreshment, mm-hmm. or whether it's the whether it's the pastor who says, "Oh, I know exactly who would lead that up." What would be some next steps that they could take to get an idea? And let's stick with dinner church to get this idea off the ground. Okay, uh, what are some of the things that they need in place? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the good news with dinner church specifically, but a lot of this will apply across the board, is that uh, you're right. It can be done without a lot of professional leadership. Uh, what they found in Seattle is that they're basically paying for food and rent, and uh, it comes down to about a thousand bucks a month. And as far as staffing, uh, they tend to have maybe um, a co-vocational, bivocational leader who gives it about uh, probably the equivalent of a day a week. So they they found it very accessible, especially if you're looking at these traditional launch big church plants that are, you know, you're trying to find funding for the first five years for full staff and things like that. Um, But yeah, so what you're talking about a little bit uh, is what uh, Fresh Expressions refers to as the pioneer you know, and the pioneer is an apostolic leader. Uh, the pioneer is someone who has, uh, you know, just can't help but start new things. Is always going into new places. They walk into a room and they see how God could interact with that group of people in that new place. And quite honestly, I don't know if this has been your experience, but a lot of pioneers don't fit in a lot of our traditional church setups, right? Um, you know, somebody might have all that energy and they go to church and they're told, well, can, yeah, I know you want to start this thing, but really we just need somebody to hold the babies in Sunday school, right? Um, and so that incredible, you know, evangelistic zeal and apostolic gifting kind of can get uh, lost because a lot of churches aren't set up to uh, really engage and cultivate our pioneers. Um, and you were talking about the pastor who might feel like this is a breath of fresh air. I think there are a lot of pastors who get into the church business um, because they want to reach people and they want to be a part of a community that is reaching people. And then they kind of get into it and they're just overwhelmed by um, the realities of managing an existing community that already has you know, traditions and ways of going about things and personalities and stuff like that. And so a lot of times those, you know, pastors, they might have a pioneering spirit themselves. Um, and that's been kind of tamped down by uh, the reality of their job. Um, so what, you know, what's great about dinner church is, uh, 
you know, what, what they've found is pretty much, it's pretty realistic to think about every, you know, healthy established church in America could probably also do a dinner church. You know, if you can, um, if you can manage and uh, fund and house a Sunday morning gathering uh, that people commute to and they listen to a sermon and, you know, all that, you can probably figure out how to make a, or even cater a meal um, and tell a Jesus story. You know, that you probably have people within your congregation already who have that capacity. Uh, what's interesting is that, um, well, let me put it this way. In Fresh Expressions terminology, Fresh Expressions, they like to talk about uh, three types of leaders in every church. You have the uh, pioneer, who we just mentioned, the person who can't help but start new things. You have the supporter. Um, and these are people who uh, they want to pitch in and they want to be a part of something. And then you have the permission giver. Uh, and, you, and these are usually... Um, church leaders or even denominational leaders who understand the need for pioneering um, and how pioneers often get overlooked um, and they come and support those um, by creating space within the organization. So uh, to answer your question though, it, you know what a church can do is as like a next step is identify those pioneers. Who are those people uh, who can't help but start something? What's specifically really neat about the uh, dinner church model, though, is because it is a model um, and because it is very specific and reproducible, uh, people who don't, who aren't a pioneer, who don't think of themselves as a pioneer, people who fall more in that supporter category, they can usually look at dinner church and say, hey, we can do that. You know, I don't know how to, you know, go out on the street and tell people about Jesus, but I do know how to bake a pie or cook a roast. Um, and sit with someone at a table, maybe sip on some coffee and hear their story. Um, so we find that it's really easy. There's no reason why any church couldn't also start a dinner church. It's going to be on a weeknight or uh, an evening. It's not going to affect your Sunday morning gathering. Uh, and it's going to reach a totally different crowd of people. Um, so, yeah, you know, next step, identify those pioneers um, and then identify people who are more supporters and, and try to teach them a model that they can understand. Um, and if you're a permission giver, uh, use your, the areas that you have within your influence to tell stories about these different ways of gathering as a Christian community. Joining us today has been Chris Morton. Chris is the Director of Strategic Initiatives for Fresh Expressions U.S., as well as a freelance writer and content marketer. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Chris. We hope that this uh, has been a beneficial podcast to you listeners as well, thinking about some of these new uh, ways of doing church, which really aren't that new, but are, are old ways being done in fresh ways. Uh, maybe thinking about some of the ideas of pioneers and supporters and permission givers, even in your own context. Uh, we hope that you found this podcast episode helpful and that you'll check out some of the more other podcast episodes available from the Wesley Seminary podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.